You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Fully Occupied. Uh, we've got a pretty fascinating show f- for you today. I think i um, starting to hear some like real answers of like how both owners and uh, occupiers are starting to address, you know, the big 800-pound um, gorilla in the room question of like how much space do I need and how do I need to um, provide a workplace experience for for my employees. And Brandon Medeiros, who is the founder of Allidate Flex, joins us today. And we talk a little bit about the work that he's doing with some institutional owners and also enterprise type occupiers on figuring this out from a data perspective. What do tenants demand not only from uh, the physical space, but also from kind of the time domain of how they use the space and then how owners are reacting to that in reconfiguring the way office buildings are uh, built, structured, um, and deployed out to tenants. Uh, it's a really fascinating conversation. Brandon's super passionate. He's got a lot of experience in this. He he headed up the enterprise team at, at WeWork where he was putting together uh, you know deals with Fortune 500 companies and big landlords across the globe, which is where he learned of, of this kind of inflexibility and unsustainability in the system between landlords and tenants. But uh, I'll let you guys check it out yourselves. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, here's Brandon Medeiros. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah. Um, last time we spoke on our prep call, you were, I think you were, um, you were uh, curing your new pizza oven in, in your backyard. How'd that go? I'm, I'm pleased to say that the pizza oven has cured. And the first four pizzas were quite miserable. One of them turned into a calzone, <clears throat> folded right in half. Uh, but we made eight pizzas over the weekend, and the quality has improved substantially. And as always, you are welcome. You and this entire audience are welcome over for pizza anytime. Uh, who doesn't love pizza? Um, all right. So we're joined with Brandon Medeiros from Alidade. Um, he's the founder of the company, and he's doing some really cool stuff in the prop tech space. Uh, but I won't uh, attempt to uh, butcher your, your background. So why don't you walk us through... Uh, what you're about, where you came from, and what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, graduated 2008, right into the teeth of the recession, degrees in statistics and finance. I wanted to be an economist. Mom said, no, our bank accounts can't support you going and getting your master's, so go out in the world. Go find go find a job. Found myself in New York City working in commercial real estate. Um, you know, pretty standard, pretty standard upbringing there. Started on like the front lines doing leasing and then moved up to management, asset management, and then moved from there to taking over most of the time equities. That's the name of the company. They're 2.4 million square foot commercial office portfolio. Um, stayed there for a long time, learned everything, learned everything you could learn. Um, got a chance to do acquisitions, dispositions, a little bit of everything. Um, 2017, I was kind of looking for a change, jumped over and joined WeWork. Uh, at WeWork, I was running a group called Enterprise Real Estate, which just basically meant anytime we had a large tenant in tow, um, but we didn't necessarily have an asset to place them in. Uh, fundamentally, I had to go out and be able to structure an engineer deal, right? We got to do that internationally too, which was just super fun. And we learned a lot. Uh, and I always make the same sort of joke here that 
when you think you're in real estate uh, and you're on the owner side and you walk over to the occupier side, you realize how little you actually know about them. And the same is true, vice versa. Um, and so 2020, uh, you know, left WeWork, started Alladade. And really what our mission at Alladade, we'll talk about this obviously a lot during the show, is our mission became to change sort of the system of thinking of how real estate has been done, sort of break this view of there's this thing called flexible office, there's this thing called normal office, they're two different things. Uh, we saw that the real value proposition primarily was when and when a single provider could be able to cater to an occupier as effectively as, as, as they needed to, to address the concerns that were growing. Headcount expansion, that was all 2010 to, 20, 10, 2010 to 2020. Now work from home. And really what occupiers want is they want the cheapness of conventional space, but they want the flexibility of flex and they want them all together in one thing. Um, and so that really became our, our mission was to sort of challenge the status quo and be able to work with some of the largest institutions in the, in the world to be able to change those plans. And so our first clients were Len Lease out of Australia, which was really fantastic to work with. Uh, we got an opportunity to work on a, on a project in Milan. Uh, after that became Bridge Commercial, uh, one of the largest suburban holders. What so describe what you're doing for these these customers? Yeah, so really, what 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 most of the institutions today? There's three major initiatives that I think are underway across almost every institution. Um, that's solar, which is really under the function of ESG, uh, flex, um, and some life sciences as well as really four, and then data centers. Data centers are a little bit less cool today, uh, but flex is a major initiative that's that's um, being implemented across everybody. But really what, what, what the institutions are looking for is the, the reason as to why and also the, the, the tools to implement, right? Uh, they're not native to the problem. Um, they're not necessarily native to really even understanding what occupiers want, how they think about space, how they, how they look to address their problems. Um, in, a, in a big way, this is not true for everyone, but the last 50 years for commercial real estate owners has been one where we've repeated the same thing over and over and over again. Right. A lot of disintermediation has happened, both from the occupier side and the owner side. Um, really, there's a huge yawning gap between what occupiers do, want to do and experience and use of space and how commercial real estate owners think. And so for us, uh, most of our job is bridging that gap, both from a data perspective, uh, but also a capabilities perspective. You know, we come from the WeWork realm. Most of us do some from convene, some from industrious. So a lot of the tools that we develop there, just in terms of pipeline scaling, product development, underwriting, et cetera. Uh, a lot of that stuff has to get done early, get done, get done right. And then the data, which, which we really want to get into, uh, starts to tell us, particularly in the, in the, in the era of work from home, that there is not one single thing that you can build across your portfolio and expect to have success. You have to be able to cater that to what's happening in your asset and what your occupiers want. And by the way, they all look different today. Yeah. Yeah. So the old way of, <clears throat> I got this building, I had a lease roll off. Now I have this space. Um, landlord just being focused on filling this space yeah. totally misses the point of what's really happening today, which is companies, the occupiers themselves are going through this tremendous, um, kind of churn of what is right for their employees. And unless you're sitting on this, their side of the table and understanding the tr problems that they're trying to solve, 
generally for their business, which then would result in a real estate strategy or decision, then you're just going to sit on that space and wait, wait for a tenant to come around. And yeah. that world is like gone is what you're saying. It's, it's gone. gone like maybe the best, the best owners, the best owners are starting to, to move I'm beyond that. Like, yeah, that like 1.0 way of thinking about how, how we lease an asset versus yeah. there's, there's too many iterations of what can be described as a tenant right now. And we need to be yeah. prepared to answer all their questions and provide them a service level that fits what their actual business is trying to, to achieve. Particularly at a time, Matt, where the occupiers are struggling with that same answer. That's yeah. Right. That was my point. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. All the tenants are still trying to figure out what, are, what are they doing? What are they doing? You know? I need more yeah. data. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you were going to offer me. I don't know what I should offer you. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the, the way that I've always liked to think about it at least is that old world is still going to exist on a go forward basis. However, the tools that we used TI free rent term face rent, Escalation yep. clauses, expansion, expansion options, rofos, rofers. They were always blunt to begin with, right? Yep. Um, and as you said before, the way that we thought about space, the way that an owner would have thought about space is I have 10,000 square feet to lease. Not who can occupy 10,000 square feet? Yep. What does it need to be configured, configured as, right? Um, and I even point to the way that the tools and systems that owners have to use. If you think about even something as simple as Argus, right? As an underwriting platform. Uh, it's been a standard in the industry, but it says I have 10,000 square feet. I think that at the end of five years, I have a 75% renewal probability that a 10,000 yeah. square foot is going to take in with six months of downtime and this much in TI. That's ridiculous today. It's a ridiculous concept. Therefore, right? my building is worth this. Therefore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> my building is worth this. And so it's 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 that intersection of, of the occupier and the owner. And we get asked this a lot. We do occupier work too. You say, oh, those you can't believe you do occupier and owner work. And they're the same market. They're the same thing. It's not yeah. occupiers and owners. It's supply and demand of real estate. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from your WeWork experience? Because I think like we were chatting last time we spoke was that those deals are insane because you have <clears throat> intent to lease space or solve for headcount growth for an enterprise. And they're looking to you to find them the best solution. Um, but you don't have any inventory yet. And they're like, we need to be in Sydney, Australia. Okay, cool. So it's almost like you're an intermediary, almost like a broker at that point, but you're also probably dealing with brokers, both on the tenant and landlord side, and you're dealing with the principal owner and this, and this tenant. So it seems like it's almost like this, like three-way deal where you need to yeah. get the tenant get the brokers, get the landlord all to just play ball with like, this is the objective of, of the client. Like how, how, what was that experience like? You just, you just described pretty clearly the struggles that I had for two, two and a half years of doing that. Right. Well, this cooks why, in that kitchen. Yeah. This is why we're here today. Right. Is because of all those things that we learned then. Um, yeah. It, what, what I learned primarily was we had to approach the problem significantly different, right? We talk about Sydney. Somebody calls me and says, hey, Accenture calls and says, hey, I need to stand up a team for a thousand people in Sydney. We don't just say a thousand people in Sydney multiplied by 150 square feet, right? Yeah. That would be what we used to do. It's a pretty good standard. It did used to work, generally speaking. You really have to start asking the questions, okay, well, what is it? Is it a thousand people immediately? 
Is it 50 people to start growing to 200 is an expansion office? Let's talk about that. Let's try to understand the scenarios and be able to map it in. Because the last thing we want is a thousand is space for a thousand people that we're not going to need. All that is overhead. All that is cost that we don't need. And so you start to just really create what you think is an accurate demand model, right? What you think will be an accurate projection of, of how occupancy can be predicted. Obviously, building in some buffers, building in some safe space, but really trying to time it. And you do that before supply. That's what we started to do then. You do that before you're even aware of the asset that you want to be in. But you're aware of what the deals can get done in that marketplace look like, what things are available. We might not have selected the assets. We can start putting those things into a model. And then you really just start to use every tool at your disposal to try to find every single way that you can look at, uh, at them doing this and you can give them something different. Right. Yeah. And so the result of that was, you know, over the course of an observed hold period, you know, we wanted to generate at least a 30% efficiency. And this is still 2010 to 2020, by the way. We're not talking about work from home yet. We're not talking about any of those impacts. We're just talking about we already knew that that stuff was happening right. because we remember Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, blah, 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 all the fangs. Um, they were having meteoric hiring sprees. Businesses were being start up, blown up moved over, consolidated. Uh, and that was really when pressure started to build and this, this, this business got, got fascinating. Once that deal's done and you sort of know what you're going to look like, then you can go. Then you go to the markets. Then you say, hey, I have this client. We've already negotiated this. We're on the same side of the table here. We want, you, we want to be in your asset, right? Um, got it. And so we'll then that, you almost become the tenant at that point. It's like we, the have, we're, we have a user. We're the tenant. We need X. And... Yep. Um, okay, cool. I get that now. <clears throat> and then, yeah, but yeah. what I'll say to that though, is it was, it's, it's, it was awful. It's hard, right? Yeah. It's really hard, right? Cause now you got, you've done all these things to create all that value and yet you still got to go cut that deal. Yeah. You still got to put all this on paper, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not the structuring part that's hard necessarily. It's not necessarily the, the, the negotiation, the deal that's hard. It's all the stuff after. Months and months go by. Many, many attorneys are coming on. You're talking about subordination agreements, recognition agreements, uh, credit, credit agreements. Who's paying for what? Are they on the lease? Are you guys on the lease? How is this all going to work? It was hard and it was not sustainable and it was not scalable. Right. Uh, yep. But it did teach us stuff. And your primary question was, what did we learn from that? Right. Uh, we learned a lot of value could get made that way. We also learned you can't do it this way. Right. You can't have yeah. both one person doing the flexible stuff, one person doing the conventional stuff, and then be able to, to string a deal together like that, you might have success one time, three times, five times, but you're not going to be able to put a team together across the globe who's going to do those deals for a thousand, for 10,000, or to even move a marketplace, right? Um, and that was hard learnings. Yeah, so then I would imagine that <clears throat> trying to do those deals and doing those deals put yourself on the, on the landlord side and they're probably just thinking about it. Look, I have this box of space. Like, I don't, I don't care what your utilization metric is that you're trying to achieve. Like, I just yep. need you to lease this box of space for this rent for this many years. After the, you sign the lease, I really don't care what you're doing because I have your credit and I have your lease and now I'm, I'm good. But what you, are saying now is that you can't do that anymore because companies aren't going to go out and just pull the trigger on the 150,000 square foot lease 
that they might utilize 30%. Now they're saying, look, we have people working all over the place. Like, I don't even know where my employees are logging in from half the time. And I'm not going to mandate them be at the office five days a week right now. So even if you try to get me to take this space that I might use 30%, like I'm not prepared to make that decision. Yep. So how are owners, how is the physical built world going to start to be able to react to that? It, because, and, and there's another layer of that question, which I'm sure you're dealing with as well, which is the purpose of the space. Sometimes yep. like, a traditional office headquarters has every purpose under that roof. And some of it gets used 10% of the time. Some of it gets used 90% of the time, the cafe versus the conference rooms. Like there's all these things that are just like so capital intensive for tenants to have to deal with. And if you dump all of that capital into each space to have every purpose and every use in there and no one comes to the office, like, no one's making those decisions anymore. Those decisions used to be commonplace, right? Every tenant was like, I got to have this office. It has to have this many private offices. It has to have this many cubicles. I need this many conference rooms. I need the building to have this amenities. If they don't, I'll put it in my space myself. And, and so it was just like this piling up of like, I need, I need, I need. And now people are, have for the last three years realized that like, I could actually go without and I still can get productivity out of my employees, but I still need some sort of real estate. So like, what does that real estate look like now? And yeah. if I'm the owner, I'm thinking to myself, like, does my building even, like, uh, does it even respond to that? And so I, I, I would imagine those are the, the kind of conversations that you're having with the Heinzes and the lend leases of the world. Like, yeah, 100%. What are we, we going to do about this? <laughs> <laughs> so just to the to the first point, right? Like what, what changed? Um, obviously COVID changed it. We're yeah. home changing, right? Um, is the most obvious statement that anybody's ever said on this podcast, probably. Um, but it, what changed was for the first time in commercial real estate, as long as anybody who's alive can remember, we're not necessarily looking at a foreseeable future in which demand will continue to outstrip supply reliably. So you didn't have to care before. You didn't have to, you knew if I had, you know, if I had a good bricks and I had a good asset, generally speaking, I'm tied to the economy. You boom, economy booms, people come back, vacancy decreases, pretty steady state stuff, right? Um, obviously work from home, uncertainty around utilization is causing every occupier under the sun to do exactly what you said, right? Um, they're looking at haircuts. Some of them are blindly haircutting, you know, some of them are, yeah. a lot, most of them are trying to take a more data sort of forward view on it. Um, but that's, that's the shake, right? The shake is we have to do something else. If we're, if we can't do something else, if we can't give a value proposition, uh, that will enable us to increase occupancy and to differentiate ourselves, then we're gonna have a serious problem, right? <laughs> As you look at the occupier side, you know, you pointed out that there's a lot of capitally intensive things and every, every occupier usually, you know, has these specific things that they want to do and what's the purpose of space. I always make the same, the same, the same kind of joke here that, it doesn't matter whether you're Google or you're KPMG, you always build, everybody builds the same stuff. Everybody does. There's just not that many difference. things you can build inside yeah. of an office, right? Yeah. There's closed spaces and there's open spaces. There's amenity spaces and there's hallways. There's bathrooms and there's phone booths, right? Yeah. Everybody does the same thing. Sure, some people do it with different quality, but if you're Gensler or HOK or you say, no, we do it different. No, 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 this is a, it's all, this is a four person conference room. I don't care if it's a four person conference and it's glass and has, you know, beautifully kitted out 
I don't care if it's a T12 fixture like behind me, right? It's still a four-person conference room. And the reason that we built that was to cater to individuals uh, who need to collaborate with groups of four or less. <laughs> and it's that's what's been interesting about Office for so long is there's not that many things you can do in the office. I work by myself. I work with other people. When I work with other people, there's so many people I can work with, right? When I work by myself, I either work by myself in groups of one, I work myself with heads down space, or I work by myself in near a team, right? And so I think when you start to look at that, most most organizations are saying, yes, there is not that much different in this today, right? There's not that much here that's so special and so sacred. A lot of the sacred cows are gone, right? Or yeah. on their way out. And it's yep. an anecdote here. One of our clients said to me, oh, we need to have a 30-person boardroom because twice a year we have our, our, our shareholder event. I was like, look, 30, 30 person boardroom costs you 60 grand a year, all in with your CapEx and your, your fit outs and your, and your cost of cost of FM and cost of lease. You're going to use it three times a year, two times a year. So per the times that you use it, you're going to be really spending or would have to charge for two times a year, $140,000 just to be able to get that money back for the time that you didn't use it three times a year, flying down to Cabo. Yeah. Go book the nicest hotel that you can reasonably think right. of in this area. It's still gonna, you're still gonna put money in your pocket, and yeah. so really, that's mentally how how people are thinking today. Is the per, what is the purpose of an office? Well, it used to be that all things exist inside the office. All things, all activities happen there, and now we're looking at it and saying, well, no, activities should happen where it's effective to have that activity happen, and we can get the most bang for our buck. Two things are true. You have a B2B conversation. The B2B says, I'm going, to I'm going to procure the things that are most efficient for me. And then the B2B to C or B2B to team conversation is, I'm going to let you have the agency autonomy and budget to go out and procure that thing. It doesn't mean that we won't necessarily have one of those available inside the office, but it's not going to mean we have six. Yeah, we got the seven. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the set in stone thing that we have to do because of the programming spreadsheet told us yep. we needed this. So, it, does this all just boil down into like less demand for space? Because like, if if you're not going to build out that thirty person boardroom or the two of them that you have, and your workforce is less than thirty percent actually going into the office, like any business leader would be like, why would we spend this much money on space? Then let's just get a smaller space, and then we'll go rent out things here and there as we need them, or we'll give people like a desk pass that they could log into any co-working space they find in their city or we just send them a stipend of 150 bucks a month for work from home you know amenities or whatever like in all of those scenarios there's less office space being leased right yeah like, yeah is, is, well is that, so here's here's what the math has shown us so far the data that we've taken back we've taken it um just imagine a curve like an s curve right and imagine that s curve says over the course of 245 days Put my low utilization days on the left, put my high utilization days on the right, and it sort of looks like an S-curve. We used to have a really flat S-curve. We did have low utilization days and we had high utilization days, but the delta between them wasn't that high. The average across the whole year, generally between 55 and 70%, depending on the organization, right? So that's how it looked historically. It looked like that for five days in the office. Work from home, a lot of policies can move it and change it, but any amount of work from home, doesn't necessarily reduce the whole S curve down. It drops the bottom days without necessarily decreasing the top days. 
right? right? And there's a couple of causes for that. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, th- Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are the obvious ones, right? There's other causes for it too. We haven't fired people. We haven't let them go. It's not that they're not ex- existent in the system. They could all still come in. In fact, the organization frequently does want them to come in. Yep. Right? End yep. of quarter, blah, blah, blah. Teams want that same sort of event. I want to get my whole team together at least once a month now, right? Yep. And so that S-curve has become difficult now. We, we can't – we used to be able to put a, a line on top of it and say, hey, we're going to procure this much for that S-curve, and we're going to be on average 65% utilized. If we want to keep that 65% utilization because it was efficient, that procurement line drops below the top of the S-curve. It always does. There's just no way you can be both efficient and have everything you need, which points to what we've been talking about. You have to go in and say, I'm going to go procure externally, and I have to be okay with that. A lot of companies in the last decade, 65% of Fortune 500s did use some flex at some point. So they're pretty comfortable with it or somewhat native to it, but a lot still aren't. A lot really aren't comfortable with that concept, right? Yeah, so when you're talking to these owners, what is the um, – you go through this whole exercise of, like, look, here's the data – Here's what your objectives are. What is what? Are, what's the what's the product of all that work? Is it okay? We're yeah. going to redesign this building, or we're going to market to people differently? Like what? What are the what are some of the strategies that they're deploying? Yeah. So I think first and foremost is kind of going back to what we said earlier. Um, there's only so many things you can do, and only so many places where that stuff can get done, right? So if it's inside your space, say it's an eight-person conference room, well, okay, it's an eight-person conference room. So if we start to look at the math and we say, hey, in this building, 30 tenants, right? We think that these 30 tenants, based upon the data that we have, we think that this is their demand curve, right? We think that on this demand curve, we think that all this stuff that they're going to leave over is they're going to get rid of 30 conference rooms, they're going to get rid of 200 desks, blah, 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 blah. You look at that in the aggregate then, you say, how much would everybody give up? Right? How much would they ideally like to give up? And you say, okay, great. This is the sum total of the stuff that we'd like to be able to remove. And we know if we can do it, it's efficient. However, this is the demand that that represents too. We're going to take away 300 desks. We're going to improve their occupancy costs. But there's still going to be four, 45 days where that company is going to have an excess demand of 60 desks, 60 desk needs. So what do we have to do? We have to build co-working. Open space co-working with all the services that go inside of it at a pretty good, pretty good quality that meets or exceeds their expectations and allows them to access it and have it at a known price too. The second you do that, an occupier says, oh, wait, this is amazing. I get to give up my stuff and be able to have that shock absorber relief valve day in my building. Fantastic. This company's the sum total of them are going to give up 10 boardrooms. 10 boardrooms represent... 57 days of a boardroom need for one to three days. And we have to price it like this. And so then they start to look at that and say, okay, there's not one thing to build. Like I said, there's not one answer. There's a lot of different answers. You could have a San Francisco building, which looks completely different in terms of its curves, what they're going to give up, what they would need. But the reality is, is co-working, co-working conference centers, social amenity spaces, event spaces address most of the major needs that are existing inside of office anyways. Right. And so it's like I said before, it's just a closed loop system. You can't create more demand. It doesn't exist. The only way you can create more demand is optimizing and then saying, I'm going to address that excess demand. And that's where you really start to point to. This is a data heavy business now, right? 
Yeah, so data comes from a lot of disparate sources that have, have existed forever, but have never been tied, right? Um, badge swipes are obvious. Well, wireless access points are great. They tell you a lot about people moving around. HRIS integrations or database integrations between who those people are is obviously critical. Floor plan analysis. You have to have an FF&E plan. You scrape that thing down and you know what exists there. Now you have a denominator for space, right? Your leasehold costs and leasehold interest. What are people paying for things and what does it cost them, right? Uh, and then as you start to go deeper, um, booking systems, inventory management systems, um, deeper still, it, it the kind of the rabbit hole goes all the way down, right? But there's a number of things you need. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, sorry, I cut you off, but I was saying, yeah, where does it end, right? Like and pretty much every piece of data that's flowing through a company can somehow be tied to like the physical space. Building uh, building management systems can, workflow systems can, Slack can, if you really wanted it to. No, but I don't think Slack integrations. I, I like organizational network analysis is like a really fun thing that we should probably do at some point. But there's so many other easy ones to do first, right? Um, so those pieces, it you know, we've worked with clients who are super sophisticated. They have sensors under every desk. They have inventory management systems put into place. They have wireless access points. They have controls at the doors. Resolution on that is enormous. I can tell you everything. We can tell you, we can predict what will happen with a high degree of certainty. And then you go down to somebody group out of Chicago. I have badge swipes and HR data. That's all I can give you, right? And so there's a there's a challenge that's underway today. I think everybody will move up sort of the, the resolution ladder in a way because we do know we're going to need it. Uh, we start at various different points. Weirdly enough, flex operations like the co-working model, they're data heavy already because it's been centered to the business, right? You have to have access control. You have to have these things. And so you have them, the data's there. Buildings are all over the place. Suburban assets almost have nothing. Urban assets at least sometimes have access control, guest registration, et cetera. But I think everybody's on the path. And this is why densities raise so much money. Everybody's on the path to know that they need to improve those things but not necessarily know what they need to do with it. And I think that's where we're, we're fitting in here. We're providing for the first time, what are we doing? Not necessarily, how are we gonna go count these little things, but what are we gonna do with all the stuff that we just paid for to count? And how much should I spend on the stuff to pay for to count, which is gonna get me to a high degree of resolution to address my business plan? Yeah. How well are tenants planning on sharing that information? Because if I'm a, I'm a tenant that's like, you know, basically just like, volunteering up my data through batch swipes and maps and yeah. um, other stuff. Like you would think, and this kind of is applicable to our business too, because we handle leases and yeah. lease is a contract between the tenant and the landlord. But once it's signed, they both go and do their own thing. They don't actually talk to each other until somebody missed something in that lease or it's like about to expire. But like, I would think that like it would be better for the industry if like owners and tenants were just like open to sharing this data because then you could more in real time optimize these these decisions yeah. that might be like look you could be if I were an owner I would, I would use that data and take it to my tenants and be like look you're only coming in here x y and z you're not using these conference rooms what would you think if we were to build like a two two or three floors of co-working that has all these amenities that you don't have to pay for in your release would you want to do that i would i would think that most tenants would be like yeah, I can cut down my occupancy cost and have on-demand space that I can use much more uh, efficiently than having it in the four walls of my office. Like, yeah. How, how well are they collaborating through those conversations right now? 
So you, you, this has been a, what you said in the beginning, is it a challenge? Are they working with each other? That is what we thought was going to happen in 2020 and 2021. We were like, nobody shares anything. Everybody hates everybody. And there's no trust in the system. Here we are in 2022. And to what you just pointed out, taking the data, going in, talking about these things, having more meaningful conversations. We've done those now. And every single time we've done them, we've been blown away by the fact that people are willing to share. They're more than happy to share. They need to get to a solution. The CEO has told a head of real estate, I need you to cut this by 50%. Is that the right number? Nobody knows. He doesn't know. He's got a bunch of things. He has no way to be able to really pull that together. If he can pull it together, it takes him eight weeks, right? And so that sort of data is is has been easy to get because the answer has been so hard, right? Um, and collaboration is uh, is something we've started to see, but it's not a natural bone in in, this, in everybody's body yet. Um, and so to, to what you pointed out, yeah, Golden House on the Hill for us, I think, is, has imagining a different end state, right? A different end state a couple of years from now, five, six, seven years from now, when this has been more routine, where we don't necessarily say, hey, I need 25,000 square feet. Instead, we say, hey, here's here's my data. Here's my demand model. Here's the stuff. Here's the things that I'm going to need over the course of the year. Tell me what your building can do for me. This is a completely different discussion than we've ever had before, right? Yeah. Or like, I'm going to put my demand model out into the marketplace. And yes, exactly. Who yep. can help me? Who can help me best? Tell, than me, like, tell me what you can do. I don't know. These brokers and architects are telling me I need 30,000 square feet, and they're going to give me a bunch of options. I'm going to go look at them and choose one. And then it's like... Okay, now, now it just becomes this like adversarial type of marketplace where you're just competing with other tenants for space. You're competing against landlords on rate, like the old, yep. the old way of doing it. And that's, the, that's part of the disintermediation we're talking about, right? All those stuff in the middle. It's not that we don't need them. It's not that architects don't fill a critical role. It's not that brokers don't fill a critical role. It's not that right. workplace strategists and consultants don't do the things that we needed them to do. But to say that today, we want strategy to live out into that realm, the transactional realm, where we're only doing things once every, you know, once every period of time and paying massive consulting rates to do it. It doesn't seem sustainable anymore. That disintermediation where, oh, those are other people who deal with that, has to go back. The strategy has to go back into the owner and the occupier again, and then they need to communicate more effectively. Uh, and it's just, and again, it's not terribly difficult. This isn't rocket science. We're not making a, making a rocket and going to Mars here. We're literally saying, how do I get the people into this space in the most effective way possible? Is the only question. Let's leave it at that because I don't think we're going to answer the question in this conversation, but we're on your way to do it, which is awesome. Um, I think we should probably like put a tickler out there to do this like a year from now or two, two more years from now to see like what some of these outcomes are that, that you've been working on because I think it's fascinating. Yep. Um, yeah, and I'd be happy happy to share. And thanks for thanks for inviting me on. Uh, obviously, deeply passionate about this, and the next few years are going to be fascinating for your yeah. business, for our business, um, and it's going to be exciting to see like the new challengers in the space. Right? It's yeah. been a long time, and it's been a long time before that's happened in real estate. Yeah, now's the time. Uh, before we let you go, let's do some rapid fire questions here. I'm gonna throw a couple of curveballs at you. You get a minute to answer them. Uh, sure. Uh, first question what's your guilty pleasure movie like the movie like on a sunday where you have nothing to do starship starship troopers no problem okay, there you go starship troopers by the way is fantastic and if you don't know it's an anti-war movie and you should watch it again knowing that it's an anti-war movie 
make you feel completely yeah. differently about it. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay. Um, speaking of movies, if uh, someone could play you in, in like a movie or like a, you know, like a bingeable like series, who would it be? It's sad, but I think it would probably be Vince Vaughn. I've been, I've got that way too often. Yeah, you got that. Yeah. Either Vince Vaughn or Dave Matthews, and neither one of those today. I mean, they used to be good looking guys, <laughs> but they really fell apart. And it, it, it says to me, I should probably start working out. <laughs> You're like an old Vince Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> You're like um, an old Vince Vaughn. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what is your favorite comfort food? And we already hit on pizza at the top of the show, so this could be a really easy one. Uh, my dad grew up in Hawaii. We grew up eating ramen noodles uh, every day after school. And when the wife is out of town and the kids aren't here, I still make myself a pot of instant noodles. And it reminds me of childhood. Nice. That is the definition of comfort food. Um, uh, what are you going to be for Halloween? Uh, I was going to be, um, what's his name from Jack from the Tim Burton uh, movie. What is it? The ho uh, Halloween? Oh, is that like Jack, Jack Skelton? Jack, Jack Skelton. Yeah. yeah, Jack, Jack Skelton. Skelton. That's a good one. It's a good one. Um, hopefully people can get the reference. Um, I don't care if they do or don't. I'm <laughs> having a good time anyways. All right. Last question. Uh, it's been great having you here, Brandon. Um, we want more people like you on the show. Like who else do you think could, uh, could be a good guest here? Put me on the spot. Yeah. You put me on the spot there. Um, if you haven't talked to him, uh, Hector Colonis um, from Sinkaroo. He's, uh, he's, he's doing some interesting things. He's really keen on the, on sort of, we didn't really talk about it as much as, as we might want, like the tactics of data transform and meshing. Um, but he's built his business on that. Right. And I think it's so important and so critical. So we kind of talked a little bit higher today, but if you want to go into like brass tacks, what systems, what do they need to connect to and how should we connect to them efficiently? I always enjoy chats with Hector. Cool. We'll have to hunt Hector down and get him on. Yep. Love that. Cool. Brandon, thanks very much, man. This has been great. Um, uh, if people wanted to find you or reach you, how do they do that? How do they do that? Uh, website, alladayflex.com. Shoot me an email, brandon at alladayflex.com. I'm always happy to have good conversations with, with people who are, who are seeing this change and um, regardless of size, right? Um, I'm happy to just chat with somebody, even if they're remotely interested in it. Even if they're not interested, I'll still tell them what I think. So. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you yep. soon. No problem. See ya.